if you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 21. John 21. Today we're concluding the second part of John's Gospel. Let me remind you that as we've been going through this Gospel, we're not going from chapter 1 to chapter 21, but we've broken up this, this Gospel into three parts. The first part was, was pictures that reveal Jesus' nature, and we focused on, on the pictures that reveal who Jesus is, the Word of God, the bread of life, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, those pictures. And the part we're in now, we're looking at encounters that reveal Jesus' heart. And, and we're focused on Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the, the um, woman caught in the very act of adultery, Lazarus, the blind man. Today we're going to focus on Peter. But before we get into looking at Peter, I want to just be transparent with you, if I can, for, for a couple of moments. I, I got saved when I was seven or eight years old. And to say that Jesus changed my life is an understatement. Jesus radically changed my life at seven, eight years old, eight, nine years old. I mean, I wanted to talk to Jesus through prayer. I wanted to learn how to pray. I wanted to, to know about Jesus, so I began to read his word. I wanted other people to know about Jesus, so I tried to learn how to share my faith with other people. And I longed to live a righteous and holy and, and godly life. And when I was about 12 years old, I, I really did believe with every ounce of my being that, that God was calling me to preach. And I was trying to live a life that would prepare me for that. But when I got to be 16 years old, I really began to want to, to fit in with my friends and the world. And so I began to allow this world to have a hold on me. And when I say this world, I'm talking about the sinful things of this world. And I began to, to live a sinful life. And to tell you that I was happy in that sinful life would be a lie because I wasn't. I had no peace. I had no joy. I had some good times. I mean, when I was with my friends and we were doing certain things and I was part of the group, I was, I was happy. But I would, I would literally at night at times cry myself to sleep because I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew that he had a better plan for me. And yet I was living in this lifestyle of sin and I felt like an absolute failure at 18 something finally happened that broke me and at about two o'clock in the morning I literally went outside fell on my face before God and just asked him to forgive me and at that point in time, I told him, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And when I got up off of that ground in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and stood up, I really literally felt like a weight 
had fallen off me. To say that that experience was as powerful as my salvation experience would be a true statement. I was saved at eight or nine years old, but but that experience at 18 was a life-changing experience. I really did feel like I was on a mountaintop. It was amazing. It was incredible. The problem is it didn't last very long. You see, those things that, that had, had just literally had a stranglehold on my life, I, I did get free from those things. But it seemed like on cue, my enemy, Satan, your enemy, he attacked me from another direction, and I got caught up in a sin that was even worse. And my feelings of failure were even worse. Because I'd, I'd surrendered to what God had told me he wanted me to do, and now I was caught up in another sin. Well, I made it through that. I confessed that sin I trusted God's forgiveness I believed his word and I went on with my life but but I still struggled with feelings of failure now understand as I went through my life the sins that I struggled with weren't as big as some of those earlier on in my life and they weren't as frequent as some of those sins earlier on in my life but but they were still there and, and they made me feel like a failure. And I began to ask myself if God could even love me, much less use me. And I felt like a failure. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, have have you ever known beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loved you, God saved you, your life was changed, but you got caught up in some type of sin and you had these feelings of failure? You wondered if, if God could even love you because of those sins? You wondered if God could ever use you to do something big in his kingdom? Well, the man we're going to look at today, he struggled with those things now before we get to chapter 21 I want us to look a little bit back at his life and before we do that I want to remind you of a statement that we're going to say over and over and over and that's this your failures don't have to define you I want you to say that with me your failures don't have to define you Say it like you mean it. Your failures don't have to define you. And I'm thankful for that because we all have failures, amen? We all have many failures. But the good news is our failures aren't final. John Maxwell, who is a leadership guru, said the difference between successful people and, and other people is how they handle failure. Then he goes on and he says some people fear failure, other people misunderstand failure some are unprepared for failure but we all fail and so the question isn't are you going to fail you will fail the question is when you fail how are you going to handle that failure now let's go back and look at Peter Peter and his brother Andrew they were fishermen they had a successful fishing business I believe if Peter were living today, he would have been the kind of man who worked hard all week and he played hard all weekend. 
He would have been a deer-hunting, Harley-riding, football-watching, chug-a-few-down kind of guy. He would have been one of those guys that was an in-your-face kind of guy. But don't get me wrong, Peter was not a bad guy. He was just an ordinary guy trying to make a living, trying to take care of his family. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter did that. He followed Jesus and, and his life was incredibly changed. For three years, he saw amazing things. He experienced amazing things. He saw Jesus feed thousands of people with a, a few loaves of bread and, and several fish. In the midst of this terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee, he, Peter, walked on water. He saw Jesus heal the blind, but not only heal the blind, he saw Jesus raise the dead. In Caesarea Philippi, Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when Jesus revealed himself in all of his glory, and he was there with Moses and Elijah. But understand, Peter was a work in progress. Just as he had great successes, he had monumental failures. As soon as Peter walked on the water, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink in that water. Right after Jesus declared that, or Peter declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. On that Mount of Transfiguration, Peter didn't know what to do, so he said, let's build three tabernacles and let's just stay up here forever. When Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, Peter said, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus had to say, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part in what I am going to do. But his greatest failure was when he boldly proclaimed to, to Jesus and all the other disciples, though all of these may deny you, I will never deny you. But then he did. Not once, not twice, but three times. They came and they took Jesus away appeared before the Sanhedrin and there by a charcoal fire Peter denied Jesus for the third time Jesus was then taken to Pilate he was beaten without mercy and he was nailed to a cross the gospel of Luke tells us that when Peter denied Jesus that third time Jesus and Peter locked eyes, and Peter ran from that courtyard where he was and wept bitterly. Jesus died on that cross, but three days later, he defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. By the time we come to chapter 21 of John, Jesus had appeared to the disciples on several occasions, and yet Peter still hadn't got over his denial, his, his failure. I, I mean, what do you do when you betray your best friend? You turn your back on him. What do you do when you deny 
that you even know the one that you have boldly proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of the living God. How do you handle that? Well, let's begin at verse 1. It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing. Now here's the truth I want you to see in these first verses. Your failures will tell you you're unworthy. Don't believe them. Listen, your failures are going to tell you that you're unworthy. But don't believe your failures. Look at verse 3. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The Lord had been crucified. He had been buried. He had been resurrected for our sins. Wonderful news to share with the world. So what did Peter do? He went fishing. Peter should have been proclaiming boldly the good news that Jesus is alive, but instead he was casting a net. Why? Because he allowed his failure to define him. Instead of feeling like he could defeat all the demons of hell, he felt like he could never be used again. So what did he do? He went fishing. Now some say that he went fishing to take his mind off of his failures, but understand, Peter didn't fish for a hobby. Peter fished for a living. Peter wasn't going out on the lake just to see if he could catch a few fish to ease his mind. Peter was going back to what he did before he ever knew Jesus. You see, he felt like he had flunked out at being a fisher of men. And so what did he have to do? The only thing he knew to do, to be a fisher of fish. You see, when we mess up, when we blow it, when we fall flat on our face as we follow Jesus, we're going to be tempted to give up, to, to throw in the towel, to go back to what is comfortable. But if Jesus has called us to something more than that, we can't let our failures define us. We can't let our failures dictate how we're going to live our lives. Peter goes fishing even though he was called to something more. How have your failures affected you? You may be here this morning and, and Jesus radically changed your life. You can go back to that moment when he became real to you, your sins were forgiven, your life felt like it was brand new, but then something happened. You may have cheated on a spouse. You may have gotten addicted to a drug or to alcohol. You, you may be addicted to porn or you were addicted to porn. It, it may be something much less than any of those things, but something happened and all of a sudden you felt like you had failed the Lord and now in your mind you're thinking, He can never use me again. And I want you to notice something here. Peter's decision to go back and fish not only affected him, it affected other disciples. Six other disciples followed him into that boat. You need to understand that how you, as a follower of Jesus, respond to your failures will not only affect your life, it's going to affect the life of other people as well, your family, your, your friends, your co-workers, the people who live around you. So remember, 
Your failures don't have to define you. Say it again. Say it loud. Your failures don't have to define you. Now let's move on to verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped from work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for there were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. And after fishing all night and not catching a thing, they noticed a man on shore, but they couldn't make out who he was. Jesus called out to them, fellas, have you caught anything? And they hadn't. Now, the word that Jesus used for them is an interesting word. In the New Living Translation, it says, fellows. I don't know how it is translated in your text, but the Greek word means child. It means immature one. Jesus is calling out to these grown men, these seasoned fishermen in a boat, and he's saying, hey, little boys, have you caught anything? Why did he do that? Because they were acting like little kids when it comes to dealing with their failures. Instead of responding to their failures and letting Jesus help them with their failures, they decided to go back to what was comfortable in their life. So Peter was there on that lake. He was fishing, but he wasn't catching anything. And when Jesus told them to cast to the other side, they caught so many fish they couldn't even haul them in. It was at this point that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, recognized it was Jesus. And when he yelled out, it's the Lord, Peter couldn't wait. He, he put his tunic around him. He jumped into the water, swam about 100 yards to shore. And it's here that I want you to understand something. Your failures will cause you to either run to or run from Jesus. When you fail, those failures are going to either cause you to run to Jesus or they're going to cause you to run from Jesus. Peter felt so much like a failure that he went back to doing what he was doing before he ever knew Jesus, but he desperately wanted to be with Jesus. He, he wanted to feel that intimacy that he felt when they were on that Mount of Transfiguration. He wanted the excitement he felt at Caesarea Philippi when he, when he cried out, you are the Christ, the, the Son of the living God. He wanted the joy that he felt when Jesus changed his name and called him to something new. You probably can recall another time that Jesus gave them fishing advice. In, in Luke chapter 5, before Peter ever even knew Jesus in a spiritual way. Jesus told them that if they casted their nets in the deep waters, they would catch some fish, and they did. And that one event right there of casting their net on the other side so convicted Peter that Peter fell to his knees. And he said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
He recognized his sin. He recognized who the Savior was. And it was at that moment that Jesus said to Peter, don't fear. From now on, you're going to fish for men. And Peter longed for that restored relationship, and yet he was struggling with failure. Say it with me. Your failures don't have to define you. Do you remember when you first met Jesus, when he changed your life? I'm convinced that restoration from failure, spiritual failure in our life, always begins with remembering when we first came to Jesus. Remembering how he changed our life. Remembering what he called us to do. But I want to warn you, you need to be ready. Because there will always be reminders of your failures. You see, Peter didn't want to fish. He wanted to be with Jesus. He jumped in that water. He swam to Jesus. But when he got there, he found Jesus cooking fish over a charcoal fire. Now, there are only two times. This is important. There are only two times in the New Testament that the Greek word for charcoal fire is used. It's used here when Jesus is cooking fish over a charcoal fire. And then it's used as Peter was standing around a charcoal fire and he denied Jesus for the third time. Can you imagine how Peter felt? He jumps out of the boat. He swims 100 yards to get to Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, he sees that charcoal fire. That fire that reminded him that he denied that he even knew the man who was sitting there and was cooking him breakfast right now. Peter couldn't get away from his failures. I mean, every morning he would wake up, the first thing he would hear would be a rooster crowing. Every morning for the rest of his life, he would hear that rooster. He would be reminded, I failed my Lord. You need to understand that there are going to be reminders of your failures all around. It could be at school, it could be at work, it could be in your car, it could be on the TV, but, but the reminders of your failures are all around. So remember, your failures don't have to define you. Say it again, your failures don't have to define you. Now let's move on to the meat of this passage, verse 15. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. These verses not only tell us what Jesus wanted Peter to do, but they're a demonstration of how the Lord loves us and forgives us. After they ate a good breakfast, I believe Jesus took Peter for a walk. The reason I believe that is because later on in this passage, Peter looks back and he sees John following them. And so I believe that 
Jesus takes Peter away from the other disciples because he wants to have this heart-to-heart conversation with Peter. And it was during this time that, that Jesus restored him and helped him deal with his failure. And what you see in this passage is that restoration is a three-part process. The first thing Peter had to do was recognize his sin. Notice what Jesus said. He said, Simon, do you love me more than these? And notice the word that he called him, the name that he used, Simon. Is that the name that that Jesus gave him? No, that's the name that he had before he ever met Jesus. Jesus changed his life. Jesus said, you're no longer going to be Simon. You're going to be Peter the Rock. But what what is Jesus calling him? He's calling him Simon. He's taking him back to that point before he ever met Jesus. He's reminding him of what his life was like before he met Jesus. And then he said, do you love me more than these? Now, there's difference of opinion as to what Jesus was asking him. Some say that he was pointing to the boats and the nets and the Sea of Galilee and and all of that that had to do with his life. And he was saying, do you love me more than all of these things? And, And let's be honest. There are a lot of things in this world that buy for our love for Jesus, aren't there? And all of them are not necessarily bad. There's nothing wrong with fishing. There's nothing wrong with being on a lake. There's nothing wrong with those things unless you're called to something more than those things. You see, there's nothing wrong with a lot of things in this world. The question is, is that what God wants for you? You see, there's nothing wrong with money. People think there's something wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's, it's how we look at money that can be wrong. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see, when we begin to love money and the things that money can buy, that's when it becomes a problem. And so maybe Peter was being asked by Jesus, do you love me more than these things? Are, are you going to go back to these things instead of following me? But maybe, just maybe, Jesus wasn't asking that. Maybe Jesus was looking back at the other disciples because, remember Peter said, even if everyone else denies you, I won't deny you. And maybe Jesus was looking back and saying, Simon, do you really love me more than all of these guys? Now, it's important for you to note something here. Some people say that this really isn't important in in the text, but I believe it is. When Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? He uses the Greek word agape, which is heavenly love, a godly love. The the kind of love that God implants in our heart when he saves us. He says, Simon, do you love me? Simon didn't say, yes, Lord, I agape you. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't say that. He said, I phileo you. I have a friendship love toward you. He loved the Lord. But he realized he didn't love the Lord as much as he wanted to love the Lord and as much as he needed to love the Lord. A second time, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? Again, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. A third time, Jesus says, Simon, do you really love me? This time, Peter was hurt. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know my inside, my outside. You know everything about me. You know I love you. This time, Jesus used the Greek word philia. Do you philia me? Do you really philia me? 
Peter said, you know my heart. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask the question three times? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. He had to deal with the extent of his failure before he was going to ever be restored from his failure. You see, what we would prefer is that when we fail, when we mess up, when we blow it, we can just put it in the rearview mirror and never deal with it again. But we can't do that. We have to come face-to-face with our failures. We have to come face-to-face with our sins if we're going to ever overcome them. You see, you need to remember this truth. You will have to face your failures if you want Jesus to restore you from your failures. It's not enough to say, okay, that's gone. You've got to confess that sin to God. You've got to turn from that sin. You've got to recommit your life to him, to follow him and do whatever he told you to do. Right at this moment, Peter was saying to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. But I realize on my own, I'll never be what you want me to be. I can phileo you, but on my own, I'll never agape you. But as we look at this, let me remind you, your failures don't have to define you. But there's one more truth I want us to see here, and that's verse 18 and following. It says here, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. He renewed that call. Peter turned and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. And Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. Tradition tells us that Peter was in Rome and he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die the same kind of death his Savior died. But when Jesus told him that, Peter looked back, saw John, and he said, well, what about John? What's going to happen to John? How's he going to die? And Peter said, or Jesus said, it's none of your business. You don't worry about John. You worry about you. You follow me. Let me be concerned about John. You see, that takes us to the final truth we see here, and that is the best way to overcome failure is to keep your eyes on Jesus, not someone else. Comparisons can mess up your life. And all too often we compare ourselves to other people. Boy, I've done that. You say, preachers don't do that. Man, we're the worst at it. I mean, God called me to preach. I felt like, man, I'm going to preach to tens of thousands of people. And thousands of people are going to walk down the aisle and get saved every time I preached. And 
more often than not, I preach and nobody comes down. And you hear about other people that are preaching to packed houses, thousands and ten thousands, and, and there's thousands of people walking down an aisle, and people are being healed, and all of these things, and you go, what's wrong with me, Lord? Is there something wrong with me? And we compare ourselves to other people instead of running the race that God has called us to run. You see, what you need to do is be faithful to the task that God has called you to, whatever that task may be. And don't compare yourself to what's happening in other people's lives because here's the truth, your failures don't have to define you. Say it again, your failures don't have to define you. Will you fail? Are you going to fail? Absolutely, you're going to fail. Have you failed? You have failed more times than once. But your failures don't have to define you. I found a quote this week that just really spoke to me. Malcolm Muckeridge said this. He said, Christianity from Golgotha onward has been the sanctification of failure. Our failures bring us face to face with the weaknesses and inadequacies that lie within us so that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's our failures that calls us to lean more and more on Jesus and less and less on ourselves. Your failures don't have to define you. I believe with all my heart, there's probably some people here this morning who have failed spiritually. You love Jesus. And you can go back to the moment in your life where Jesus changed your life. But somewhere in your journey, you messed up. You blew it. And you begin to feel like, God can't use me anymore. And so if, instead of getting back up, going to the cross, experiencing the forgiveness that he has to offer, you've decided to sit on the sideline. And what you need to hear is your failure doesn't have to define you. You need to go back to that moment where you were saved, revisited. You need to hear Jesus ask you the question, do you love me more than these? And then when you answer that question, if you say, Lord, you know I love you, then you need to hear him say, tend my sheep, follow me. Because his desire is to restore you and use you to make a difference. If God's called you to something in your life, and listen, if you're saved, he's called you to something, then don't sit on the sidelines because of failure. Let God use you to make a difference in other people's lives. Now, maybe you're here and, and you've never had that life-changing experience with Jesus. Let, let's be honest. A lot of people haven't. We have a head knowledge. We know about Jesus. We can spout off the biblical truths 
We know Jesus died for our sins. He is buried. He rose again. And we know that if we trust him to save us, we'll be saved. We know the words, but we've never humbled ourselves before Jesus, thrown ourselves on his mercy, trusting him to save us. And we've never experienced what it is to have his Holy Spirit come into our life and change us, make us new. And if Jesus has never changed your life, then, dear friend, don't leave here today without giving your life to Jesus. In just a moment as we sing, make a beeline down front and let Jesus save you. But if you're here and you're a Christian and, and failure has sidelined you, I want to invite you just to come to this altar and spend a little time with Jesus and let him restore you to what he wants you to do. I want you to stand with me right now and I'm going to pray. Our worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I want you to come. Father God, this is your time. And I pray, Father, that you'll have your way in each and every one of our lives, Father. I, I pray that no one here who does not know you in a life-changing way will leave here without giving their life to you. And Father, I pray that anyone here who is caught up in spiritual failure right now will come to this altar and deal with it. And Lord, our altar is open. I pray, Lord, others who have needs and hurts and pains will come and bring those to you today. Do a work, Father, in each heart and each life that is here, I pray. Amen. As we sing